Let's turn in uh, Luke chapter 13 to this parable uh, that Jesus uh, tells. We want to come this morning uh, to consider what's God looking for in these days. You know, when I've been talking to people, uh, one thing that people have said several times to me is, I think he's trying to tell us something. Perhaps they'll look up or they'll point up, and they mean God. And if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times. And maybe that's because they know I'm a minister. But I think actually it's because they are thinking about what is happening. You kind of have to think about it, don't you? Well, I suppose we could be like the ostrich who allegedly buries his head in the sand and ignores danger. And we could be tempted to do that because most people are coping mostly fairly well. And the temptation might be just to put our heads down and plough on and wait to come out the far end of this and not consider God at all. But that would be a mistake. That would be to miss the point. We do need to stop and think. You see, God does speak to us in these sorts of circumstances. The great Irish author C.S. Lewis, who knew all sorts of pain in his own life, bereavement, he lost his wife, uh, and war, injury in war in World War I. He actually had a respiratory illness as a young person. And he wrote in a book called The Problem of Pain, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts at us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So what is God saying? Yes, he is speaking. What do these world-shaking events require of us? Community spirit? A pulling together? Be kind? Yes, 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 of course. But much, much more. And thankfully we're not left to flail around trying to guess what God's saying. God's word has got direction for us here. Because this is an old question and one that Jesus himself dealt with. In the section we're looking at, Jesus had been teaching the people about understanding the times in which they lived. The very thing we're trying to get our heads around now. And he'd also spoken to them about God's judgment. And in the middle of this, people come to him with news of a current calamity. And there's three things for us to see in how Jesus responds. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in the second one, but the first and the third are, are really vital for us to grasp too. First of all, there's take heed to yourselves. That's the first point. Take heed to yourselves. People come with this news about a tragedy and they want Jesus' take on it. You see it in verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Pilate was the governor. He was a rather ham-fisted sort of a man, completely insensitive to Jewish sensitivities, particularly their religious sensitivities. Now, we're not sure historically what event this is. In one incident, maybe it was this one, Pilate took money by force from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct for Jerusalem. The money had been given by the Jewish people for God's work, but he took it for his work. 
But the implied question about the calamity seems to be, if God is a judge, were these people particularly bad sinners that they deserve to die? You notice, they were Galileans. They were, they were from a way up north, northern country folk. And maybe they had done something deserving of judgment. These religious city dwellers in Jerusalem, where the religious centre was, thought, well, you know, those northerners probably did something deserving of God's wrath. And Jesus comes up with a shocking answer. He says, in effect, never mind about them. What about you? Look at what he says in verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Wow. And then to press it home a bit further, Jesus throws another incident into the mix. And this time he specifically picks Jerusalem. I told you that he brought a punch to this, a sting to it. A tower had collapsed and 18 people had been killed. And it was at a place called Siloam at the southeast corner of Jerusalem. Now there, there was a pool there where sick people believed that there were healing properties about this pool. And people that were lame or ill lay around a covered colonnade around this pool. And it's possible that they were amongst the 18 who had died. And you can imagine the talk. Hadn't these people suffered enough? Did they really need this? And Jesus says, did they deserve to die because they were worse than anybody else living in Jerusalem? Verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, take note here. Jesus isn't at the funeral of some of the Galileans, bending the ear or berating those who are grieving. He's not doing a tour of the hospital speaking to those whose bodies have been mangled by falling masonry. He's not speaking directly to hurting people. He's speaking to inquisitive people, uh, people who are in danger of thinking, this is nothing to say to me, this current calamity. And Jesus says, stop and think about yourself. Take heed to yourself. What does this moment require of you? Don't be patting yourself on the back because you're doing okay in a calamity or a crisis. Stop and think. Don't ask yourself, why did they die? Jesus says, ask yourself, why are you still alive? It's shocking, isn't it? He says, his question isn't for the dead, it's for the living. Why am I still here? What will I do with the opportunity I still have? And that his word to us in our world in century 21 is still the same as it was in century 1. What about you? Stop and take heed to yourself. And then secondly, we come to the parable. And the point here is check your privilege. So take heed to yourself. And then secondly, check your privilege. Privilege has become a massive concept in our world in recent years. White privilege, male privilege, white male privilege, white male middle class privilege. It has, I suppose, been overused and exploited as a concept, 
but there is still truth in it. Unrecognized privileges can mark our lives and impact us in ways that we aren't aware. And Jesus calls his hearers in century one to check their privilege. But he does so with a story about a fig tree. Now, we're going to need to become Middle Eastern gardeners, as it were, to, to get the point of the story. There are four keys to, to note here. First of all, there's privilege given. And these four keys will be like four notes that sound again and again in this sermon. Privilege given. The fig tree was one of the most important trees in the land. It grew almost anywhere. And they were phenomenally fruitful. And this one, however, is situated in a privileged position. It's in a vineyard. Now, that wasn't unusual, but it alerts us to the fact that this tree has the best soil. It has shelter. Vines need shelter from the elements so that they, they will grow and produce rich and sweet grapes. And it is cared for by the, the gardener, the vine dresser. So, privilege is given. And then the second note of the melody that's going to repeat itself this morning is fruit is expected. The fig tree was an incredibly fruitful tree. It bore fruit 10 out of 12 months of the year. Some varieties have two main crops. This variety in the Middle East seems to have three main crops per year. Two very, very good ones and one that's used more so to feed the animals or, or the poor would have eaten from it. But three crops. And then fig trees were given three years from being planted to before fruit was even expected. So this fruit tree is at least three years old. And then in the Old Testament, God said, give it another three years before you would eat any fruit from it. Let the fruit just be there. Don't you touch it. So it's at least six years old. And then this man says he's been coming looking for three years. So he wouldn't have been looking in the three years when God had said, don't eat the fruit from the fig tree. But now, so that makes it at least nine years old. And it hasn't produced anything. And that's three years of three crops per year that he's been looking that has failed to produce. Add to that the three years that they weren't to eat the fruit. That's 18 crops, 18 failures. This is persistently unfruitful, this tree. Despite having great resources, great opportunities. It's taking vital nutrients out of the soil. And nothing is coming back. It's worse than useless. Fruit was expected. The third note in the melody is judgment threatened. Judgment threatened. Look at verse 7. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Cut it down. Okay. That's a surprise again in the Middle East. Trees were seldom cut down. They were seen as vital to the ecology and the environment. And people would do all sorts of things to avoid chopping them down. But this one has had so much privilege, so much potential. And it's doing more damage being there, taking away the nutrients from the vines and perhaps from other trees. And after all these years, and the, all the patience the owner has shown, we can hardly accuse him of being hasty, can we? 
And then the fourth note of the melody, mercy is offered. Here's another surprise. Another voice speaks up. The fig tree does deserve to go. But the vine dresser, the gardener, intercedes on behalf of the fig tree. Sir, verse 8, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Give it another opportunity and I'll give it intensive help. I'll dig and I'll fertilize and we'll see what it does. Very generous. It's got three chances in the next year to produce a crop. But note, the fig tree has to produce fruit or it will be for the axe. And then the parable is left hanging. What happened next? Did it bear fruit? And here's Jesus, the master storyteller. He leaves it hanging. Because the people themselves are the answer. The listeners, the hearers are the answer to what happens next. And that brings us back to the point. Check your privilege. The fig tree needed to check its privilege and get on with doing what it was meant to do. And to the original hearers, this had massive punch because the botanical symbol, the, the horticultural emblem of Israel was, yes, the fig tree. Yes, you're right, the fig tree. And privilege had been given to Israel. There's that note. It was highly privileged. They were rescued from slavery. God gave them his law. God gave them his sacrifices. God gave them his presence. God gave them his prophets to bring his word. God gave them his priests to bring forgiveness. God gave them his kings and judges and rulers to bring his rule. He gave them great legends of the faith, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and great women of the faith, Hannah and Ruth and Esther and Deborah. By and large, Israel, although they had great privilege, failed to show fruit. They killed the prophets. They ignored the Messiah. They were inordinately privileged, but no fruit. And to fig tree Israel, where fruit was expected and none was shown, comes the shocking verdict. Cut it down. Enough. You've had enough. And Jesus is warning his hearers that judgment is coming. But before judgment falls, there's a window. This parable we've got, as it were, God speaking, God's justice speaking. And then God's mercy speaking. And God's justice says, they have had enough time. And God's mercy says, let's give them more time. And God's justice and God's mercy are never at odds with each other. We can't lift one above the other and expect that, well, God is merciful. It's his job to forgive. That's what he'll do. We see very clearly in this parable that mercy has a window. It has a window. Mercy is offered. It is offered. And for Israel, there is this window. Jesus came and preached to the people of Israel, as did his disciples. They were Israel was dug around and fertilized. And the question of verse 9, or the unfinished business of verse 9, is left hanging in the air. What would happen? They needed to grasp their privilege and do something with it. So what does this say to us in 
2020 to Ireland. Surely it says something similar to our nation. Privilege has been given. Privilege has been given to Western Europe. For 2,000 years the West has been built on the foundation of Christianity. We have enjoyed the shelter of the vineyard that Christianity has provided. Tom Holland in his book Dominion, he's a secular historian, shows how much Western culture is built on this foundation of Christian values. And for 2,000 years we have had the message of the gospel. We've had God's word in our language. I have a cousin who's involved in translating the Bible into languages of people who haven't got it in their own language, not even one verse in their language. And yet here we are and we have all 66 books in the library, all 1189 chapters, all 31,173 verses in English and Irish. We have had privilege and the gospel's been in Ireland for 1600 plus years. Privilege has been given and then another note in the melody, fruit is expected. Is it reasonable to think that God might expect fruit from our land? If you look back across the page to um, verse 48 of chapter 12, we read, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. How much do you think God expects from Ireland compared with people who haven't had even one verse of the Bible in their language? Ireland has been given much, much, and it has been given much time. But where's the fruit? The fruit is largely rotten. Uh, the rotten fruit of a dead religiosity that has robbed the gospel of its life-giving sweetness. The rotten fruit of a nation that has rejected God and rejected God's ways and said, we'll write our own laws, thank you very much. I wonder, does the owner of the vineyard come and look at Ireland and see only rottenness instead of the, the fruit that he longs for. So it should be no surprise that the next note in the melody sounds, judgment is threatened. Surely in these circumstances, in April 2020, we are right to sense God inspecting the fruit on Ireland's branches. Maybe even to feel the sharp edge of the axe at the bark of our roots. Ireland deserves the axe, but instead we have a glimpse, only a glimpse, the merest whisper of a destruction. If I might even put it this way, it's a gentle pandemic. The bodies aren't piling up the way we thought they would. It's not like cholera. It's not like the bubonic plague. It's not taking, at, at this stage, 20% of the world's population like the Black Death did in the 1300s, the 1400s. Mercy, there's a window of mercy, and mercy is offered. Oh, Ireland, check your privileges before it's too late. And what about you? Have you been the recipient of great privilege? Some of you have Christians in your family going back generations. Some of you have Christians in your lives now, maybe 
in your own home or in your workplace or in amongst your neighbours or in your circle of friends. That's a privilege. Some of you grew up going to church, going to BB or GB or Sunday school where you were taught the gospel. Some of you have experienced great answers to prayer. God has heard your cry for help in some dark and deep predicament. But what? What have you done with those privileges? Fruit is expected. Privilege has been given. Could it be that the master of the vineyard looks today at you for fruit? The fruit of turning to him and trusting in him. Jesus says that when disaster strikes somewhere, don't think, well, I must be okay because it hasn't hit me. Were they greater sinners? No, Jesus says, I tell you, unless you repent, you too will perish. So let me urge you, all of you, to check your privileges. And then that brings us to our third point, by way of conclusion. Third point, the first point was take heed to yourselves. The second one was check your privileges. Thirdly, come out of this crisis changed. Come out of this crisis changed. Not thinner, not in better shape, hopefully not in worse shape, not uh, having acquired new skills, maybe a new musical instrument you've mastered or a new language or new cookery skills. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't waste your lockdown. What a tragedy for this fig tree if nothing came of that window of mercy, of the time granted it. And verse 9, the story's left hanging. What happens next? Well, you and I are what happens next. Israel was what happened next. And for Israel, we know what happened next. That, that chapter in the story is written. It's written in history. Some responded, but by and large the nation kept rejecting God. And so the axe fell in AD 70, when Jerusalem was destroyed. Time was up. No fruit, no future. And the tragedy wasn't that the axe fell. The tragedy, the real tragedy, was that the axe didn't need to fall. Didn't need to fall. If there was fruit, fine. But there wasn't. There had been privilege and blessing but it had fallen like rain on a concrete field. The verdict of history is in on the generation of Jesus' hearers. But what about you and me? Come out of this crisis changed. Let me make four applications by way of what this change looks like. First of all, be changed by trusting. Be changed by trusting. Have you received much privilege but shown no fruit? Well, mercy this morning is offered to you again. Here is a window of opportunity. These sorts of moments aren't for us to breathe a sigh of relief as if, well, I've got through this. Don't mistake delay for cancellation. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The window of mercy will close. These moments for us to grasp that we have an opportunity that perhaps others don't have. Perhaps these have been days of being dug around for you. They've been unsettling. You felt the spade of the divine gardener turning over the soil of your life. 
maybe snagging the roots on the way past, maybe shaking the roots of your life. And that's never pleasant. Maybe fertilizer has been poured into your life. Never a pleasant thing. But it's an opportunity for you to bear fruit in turning to God. Jesus says in Luke chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 about Israel, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, the axe has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree, all of us. Every disaster that befalls, every near miss. Rather than giving us an opportunity to think, well, phew. It's an opportunity for us to come to God and to put our trust in Him. Not just about this, but to turn away from trusting in ourselves and to entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ, the one who provides salvation, the one who changes us internally so that we grow fruit externally. If you aren't a Christian, come out of this crisis changed, trusting in Christ. Look at your privileges. Go and lift a Bible. Turn to the last part of that library of books to the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John and read and ask God to show you Jesus. Be changed. Second application is be praying. For those of us who have put our trust in Christ, oh, how we should pray for our country like the vine dresser cried out here. He cries out, sir, leave it one more year. Literally, forgive it one more year. Oh Lord, forgive Ireland one more year. Show mercy. Let us dig round it. Fertilise it. We should pray. And pray hard for our nation. And then thirdly, be fruitful. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ have to ask the question of ourselves. Are we bearing fruit? There's all sorts of fruit. The fruit of Godliness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's the fruit of growing in Christ-likeness. There's the fruit of multiplication, sharing the gospel. These are days for those fruit to be growing and flourishing. So be fruitful. And then lastly, be thankful. Be thankful. Not one of us knows how much we owe to that voice of God's mercy saying, wait, wait one more year, wait one more decade. I know for me, there were many years where God must have come looking for fruit and I had great privileges, grew up in a family that knew the reality of a relationship with God went to a church where the gospel was taught and proclaimed. I even professed to be a Christian, but there wasn't much fruit. And how much I owe to the mercy of God saying, give him another year. How many days has God come looking at our lives for fruit and didn't find it and yet he was patient? Oh, how thankful you should be if you're a Christian for that mercy of God that said, give him time, give her time. And how thankful we should be for the gardening work of the Holy Spirit as he fertilizes and digs around our lives so that fruit grows in us. And how thankful we should be to use the imagery of the parable 
for something utterly astonishing. For the vine owner, the fig tree owner, who said, cut me down instead. For the one who told this parable, Jesus Christ, was the one who was cut down so that we might live. Cut down so that we could have the offer of mercy and not judgment. And if we reject his mercy, then there is only judgment. If we say, don't be cut down on my behalf, there is only to be cut down ourselves. But how thankful we should be that the creator of heaven and earth would step in and say, cut me down so they don't have to be cut down. Be thankful. What is God looking for in these days? Quite simply, us. Us. You and me. Fruitfulness amongst people who have received many privileges. That's every single person on this island. And the events of these days are a wake-up call to Ireland. And we do well to hear what God is saying. And they're a challenge to each of us who have put our trust in Jesus. How can we grow in fruitfulness, especially in these days? Amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the astonishing privilege that you have given to us. Privilege of having your word so long. Having had the gospel in our country for centuries for seeing the truth of it lived out in different people's lives, for having the whole of the Bible in our own tongue. We thank you for these privileges. And Lord God, we pray that you would help our land to cash in those privileges, to invest them, to bear fruit. And oh Lord God, we pray that you would show mercy to Ireland, forgive it one more year, and draw its people, its dear and precious people, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might find salvation. Let them hear your voice in the midst of this calamity, that they might come to the one who's calling. Father, we pray that you would help your people to be involved in crying out for mercy and to be involved in that work of digging and fertilizing and sowing the seed of the gospel across this land. And help us to bear fruit in our lives too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.